one more time if you're if you're new to this. Uh, there's a tradition uh, in many churches where we proclaim Easter Sunday that He is risen, not only from the pulpit and in song, but that everyone has an opportunity to do that. And so, I'm going to try again. I'm going to say He is risen, and then your response will be. He is risen indeed, and I would like to hear it with the same passion that we just worshipped our risen King in song. So let's try this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's not bad. Uh, good morning and welcome to Tomball Bible Church. Uh, my name is Skeet. I'm the senior pastor here. It is my great pleasure this morning uh, to proclaim to you that we worship and serve a risen Savior, Jesus our King, who not only died for our sins, but rose again, conquering sin, death, and Satan. And so we worship Him today in great joy, knowing that He is a risen Savior. I want to just lay my cards on the table quickly, and this might help. For those of you who don't know me, uh, we have uh, four children, the oldest of which is six. And so we have two boys, six and four, and then we have two girls, two years old and four months. And uh, one of the goals we have for our home is that it would be a place filled with, with joy and laughter. That's not always the case, um, but a lot of the times it is, and we target that. Uh, one of the ways that we pursue that is by playing games, particularly card games. Uh, our boys like card games a lot, and so we play, um, we play Uno. Uh, they're really good at that. Um, our, our oldest loves dropping the draw four card on you. Um, and our, our, our second son it only plays it if it's his only shot and then apologizes. Uh, it's like, it's the only one I could play. The other game they like to play is Go Fish. Now, their hands at this age are not, you know, the dexterity is just not there. And so when they get the cards, the first thing they do is turn them over where everyone can see them and line them up. Which is handy for me playing against them. Uh, because I can pretty much dictate who wins the game and, and, and make sure everyone wins a game or two uh, so that uh, no one goes away completely distraught. Uh, but I want to do what my children do for you this morning, just lay my cards on the table. Uh, I, I kind of have a sense that there's a few different kinds of folks here. There's some of you guys that are just in love with the Lord and passionate about serving Christ uh, and really growing. And today, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe that this will encourage you. Now, some of you guys... Our believers, you've been walking with the Lord and you've been struggling. You've been struggling to submit and obey to the power of the Holy Spirit as He leads in your life. And today I hope to challenge you. And then some of you uh, would maybe reflect a little bit and say, you know, I don't even know the Holy Spirit or if I've heard of Him, I'm not sure that He's present. And today I would hope that you'd wrestle with that and what that means. And so we want to get that on the table. I'd like to pray and then we'll jump into the Scriptures this morning. Father God, we thank You that by... Your amazing sacrifice of Your Son on the cross, covering our sin and shame, that we can come before You with boldness this morning. We praise You that not only did He die, but that that the fact that He was Your Son was vindicated when He rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Father, we praise You that we serve a risen King who ever lives to intercede, to step in for us. And that when we need You, that He is ever-present, sending the Holy Spirit. We pray that, that He would send the Holy Spirit today in this place and upon our hearts and upon each family so that we would honor Christ, our risen King, and joyfully await His coming. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Now, we did our, our little exercise on He is risen And when we talk about Easter, we usually say it in those words. We say, Jesus rose from the dead. We say, He is risen. We tend to use what we would call in English the passive voice. 
What that means is we say something happened, but we don't ascribe who did it. Now, our children do that a lot when they do something wrong, right? The milk spilled, I didn't spill it. My room is a mess, I didn't make it that way. That's an example of passive voice where you say something is the way it is, but you don't describe who made it that way. And what I'd like us to do is to look at the ministry of Jesus as well as the scriptures in Romans 8 to look at who rose Jesus from the dead. Because we don't believe from a biblical worldview that there is anything like magic. There is no fairy godmother. There is no pixie dust. And I'm sorry if I just ruined uh, some of the little girl's dreams here. Uh, and bibbidi-bobbidi-boo doesn't mean anything or do anything. So there's no such thing as magic. Anything that occurs, occurs because someone or something did it. And so Jesus rose from the dead, not because he just instantaneously rose from the dead, but because it was done by someone. And we want to explore that this morning. We begin in the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Jesus begins his public ministry. He has been baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. He went out into the wilderness to be tempted, and he returns to Nazareth, and this is what happens in verse 16. He said, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus begins his public ministry and he goes and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And then after doing that, this is what he says in verse 20. It says, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him and he began... By saying to them, today this scripture, scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah had written a prophecy about the Messiah that under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit, he would heal brokenness and sickness, that he would set the captives free, that he would proclaim the good news of God's love to those who are oppressed and afflicted. And Jesus says that today... In the hearing of that, that moment in the synagogue, that scripture has been fulfilled. That Jesus is in fact that Messiah and that his ministry of healing and casting out evil spirits and delivering people from the bondage of sin and addiction will be done under the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is upon me. He has anointed me to do this. If you'll turn back in Matthew chapter 12, we find another example of Jesus demonstrating that his ministry is empowered by the Holy Spirit. In chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus confronted as he casts out evil spirits. And some people say he does that because he is, in fact, himself the king of evil spirits. And this is his response. If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, by whom your people drive, by whom do you people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus says, look. I drive out evil spirits. I do this ministry that I do because the power of the Holy Spirit is present, empowering and guiding my ministry. And so think about this. Jesus' own earthly ministry is empowered by and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts, as you read the story of the early church, you find these miracles over and over again happening as a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus even says in John 14, when he discusses with his disciples that he'll be leaving and going back to heaven, that it is for their good that he will send the Holy Spirit. And so we live and operate and we see ministry and things happen under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And Romans chapter 8 brings up the connection between the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In Romans chapter 8 verse 9 we'll begin. It says, you however are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if by the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we say Jesus arose, he is risen. We say he rose from the dead, but biblically, the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus from the dead. Did you see that? The Spirit of God who is at work in you, who is the Spirit who took Jesus' dead body and resurrected it by His power. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that looks upon Christ laying in the tomb. It was sent by the Father to resurrect Him and fulfill the promise that after He has suffered, He will be lifted up. And then he tells us something amazing, that the same Holy Spirit that exerted power over death and resurrected Jesus is resident in those who believe in Jesus. That not only did he raise Jesus from the dead, but that he is present in the lives of those who trust in Christ. It says, if you're in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is in you. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Now, the flip side of that, and we've got to be honest with this, is that the Holy Spirit is not in you, You are not in Christ. If the Holy Spirit is not present in dwelling you, you're not safe on the day of judgment. Because the way this whole faith thing works out is that at the moment of belief, the Holy Spirit comes into the believer to empower them to follow Christ and walk in His ways. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, the Scriptures tell us that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Then he begins to describe for us what's going to happen as the Holy Spirit resides in the believer and is active in their lives, transforming them. And so we get a bit of description about what the Holy Spirit does. This Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead, how He is active in our lives. Now this isn't going to mean that we'll never struggle with sin. This isn't going to mean that if you love Jesus that all your problems are gone and that you no longer are sad, that you no longer experience depression or pain. What it does mean is that the Spirit is present and that He's active. In Romans chapter 8, if you skip a little bit further, down to verse 29, we find out God's agenda in working through the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. It says, those who are believers, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead was initiating a new work with Jesus. And then by his presence in our lives would conform us, would shape us to be like him. 
to be like Jesus, to reject sin the way Jesus did, to love others the way Jesus did, to worship the Father the way Jesus did, that it has been God's plan since the beginning for those who would believe that through His Spirit, He would be at work transforming them to be shaped and conformed and pressed into the mold of Jesus. If you continue reading in Romans, it says there are two options. We'll either be pressed into the mold of the world around us, or will be pressed into the mold of Jesus, but that it is God's intention through the working of the Holy Spirit that all believers in Christ would be transformed and pressed and pushed to be more like Christ. That's His intention. And He does that through the Holy Spirit working in us. This doesn't mean spotless perfection, but it does mean progressive growth in obedience to Christ and the Holy Spirit. All Christians wrestle with sin. We all stumble. We all fall. But the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the strength to get up and keep pressing. It's what gives us the ability to reject sin as we see it. It's what educates our conscience to understand sin when it presents itself. So if we go back a little bit more into Romans, what we begin to see are three things I want to go through that the Spirit does in us. Look at verse 13. It says, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But by the Spirit, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You notice there's two things happening there. There's, uh, there's sin and the struggles of it. And then there's the power of the Holy Spirit bringing life. The Holy Spirit brings the power to overcome sin. The Scriptures say, if you, by the Spirit's power, put to death the, deeds of the, of the misdeeds of the body... Not simply uh, not doing sin, not managing your triggers so that you don't sin as much. Not a sin management protocol, putting it to death. By the power of the Holy Spirit, killing those sinful desires that reside in you. It says the Holy Spirit will do that. As you submit to Him, as you follow the Lord, those desires will be put to death. And you'll begin to replace them with the deeds of the Spirit. And so look at this as you go through it. One, we find out that the Spirit brings life into something that is dead. Because of sin and its effect on this world, we're all dying. Some of you woke up this morning and joints were achy and hurting as you put your feet on the floor. That's evidence of the progressive movement of our bodies towards physical death. When I go to play basketball and shoot just a few shots or throw just a few passes and this wrist muscle begins to hurt, I begin to realize that while I I still feel young, that when I put my body to the test, every time I do it, there is progress that I'm seeing of decay in route to this body falling apart. And young people in the room are like, I don't get that. I'm feeling pretty good today. Trust me. You'll get there. And it doesn't take as long as you might expect. We all get that, that that this body's decaying, it's falling apart, the wheels are coming off, we will eventually die. HGH can't stop that, none of our our medicine can stop it, we can prolong it, we can improve quality of life, but there's no fountain of youth, There, there is no immortality for us this side of Jesus' return. So he says, look, your body's dying, but in the midst of this decay, in the midst of this death... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, new life will begin to spring up as you overcome sin. You'll begin to see things change. You'll begin to see 
you'll begin to see yourself with strength to withstand temptation that you could have never held up under before. Not because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, not because you, you, you had a plan in place, but because God just begins doing something. You'll find that things that used to entice you no longer do. You'll find that things that were once addictions that you couldn't break now are disgusting to you. But it doesn't happen because we work hard. Galatians chapter 3, Paul begins to describe how this thing plays out. How do we experience this transformation and this putting to death of sin? The church there had really been struggling with this question. And what they had come up with was some kind of workout regimen that they would go through. That they would, by their own strength, overcome sin. And this is what the Holy Spirit says through Paul to them. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or believing what you heard? Are you so foolish that after beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort? This is Paul's point. He says, you guys are are crazy dumb here. You think, did you get saved? Did you experience the power of salvation and forgiveness and the washing away of your sins and the hope of eternal life because you did good stuff? Or because you heard the message that Jesus died for your sins and you trusted in it? He says, if that's how it works, when the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see that, why do you think you're going to move one step closer to God by working hard? By deeds of the law, by religious ceremony, by legalism, and endless lists of don't-do's and and do-do's, and all of these things. Do you think that's going to do anything for you? He says, do you think that what God began in you, by the power of the Spirit transforming your heart, you're going to pick up and run with, absent His presence? He says, if we think that way, if we believe that that on our own we're going to come closer to God, the Scripture would tell us we're foolish. Why? Because the cross of Christ demonstrates we're unable to go to God. That if we move any bit closer, the slightest degree closer to God, it's because the Holy Spirit has been active and present. Because God is good and loving and He has drawn us. In Deuteronomy 7, when God describes His love for His people, He says, I didn't choose to love you because you were special. I chose to love you because I chose to love you. And I draw you near, not because you perform and you got all A's on your spiritual report card. He says, I draw you near because I love you. And so I'm constantly sending my Holy Spirit to be active in you, to draw you near to me so that we can walk together, so that you can experience joy in my presence, so that you will rightly see that I am the greatest good and your only hope. And that's what God does. And and we get off track when we think we're going to overcome sin by really working hard rather than submitting to the Holy Spirit and what He does. Now, there is effort here, and I want to maybe describe the difference in in self-righteous effort and the difference in an effort that's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I think you'll relate to this. The problem with, with my sin is not so much my behavior, but my desires. The problem with me being angry... And, and, and getting frustrated with people and, and responding rudely to them is not that, that I just need to learn a new technique and go, whoo, whoo, 
go do some kind of Lamas thing in the closet and then I'll be centered and feel better. I mean, that's a behavioral trigger and your, your, your family might be happier if you did that. But that's not a root fix, right? We're not solving the problem. I'm coping with it. The problem with me being frustrated against one another, against other people, is that I don't understand God's grace towards me and how significant it is. And so I'm not gracious to other people. I don't rightly see how wretched I am before God. So when other people annoy me, it's easy to get perturbed. The issue isn't my behavior. It's the Spirit of God needs to change me. And so when we talk about our efforts, our efforts are first and foremost to overcome sin, ought to be targeted at transforming our hearts. Then we recognize that our sin problems are not because the world around us, not because of our circumstances, not simply our behaviors, but that deep within us, in our hearts, there are desires that are opposed to God and harmful to others. And so then we approach God saying, transform me. In Psalm 51, David cries out, create in me a pure heart. And so he goes before God saying, please transform me. If I'm going to overcome sin, if I'm going to, to get out of this out of this constant cycle of damaged relationships and difficulty in serving you because of the wickedness of my heart, the only fix is for you to transform me. So he seeks God in prayer, pleading that he would transform him. Second, we fight this battle through believing the word of God. Not only believing it and saying, yeah, I believe the Bible's true, but actually knowing it and trusting in it. Heard a good illustration of how this works. That, that it's one thing to look at this stool and say, yeah, I, I believe that stool could hold me. I, I think, yeah, that stool could probably hold me. I think Zach said it, so I, I'm, I should be clear. It's another thing to take that agreement and sit in it. So we trust the Word of God. We don't just raise our hand and go, yeah, the Bible's true, but that we learn it and then we testify that we believe it's true by following it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we have a very familiar passage for, for those of you who study the Bible. If we could get that on the screen for him. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness. And so then it continues, So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the beautiful thing that the Scripture does for us is, is it transforms us by doing this, by confronting the lies that we have walked in because of the world we live in. And showing us the truth. It shows us that, that happiness is not found in the American dream and in, in piling up possessions and income and wealth. Or, or in purchasing things that I don't even have the money for. But that happiness is found in the Lord and in serving and making myself second to others. The truth and the lie, and the scriptures do that for us over and over again. It confronts the lie that we walk in, that we've believed, that's kind of been handed to us by the world we live in, with the truth of God, so that our hearts begin to change. It's kind of the fuel that this transformed heart runs on. As it shows us the truth and the lie. And the third kind of weapon in this effort that's guided by the Spirit is to trust the blood of Jesus. We trust it, that we, we rest in that, and that we're not convinced that, that God loves us based on performance. And that's a difficult concept to wrap our minds around. Unconditional, unquestionable love. Because the rest of the world, let's be honest, even those that truly love us, there's at least a hint that their love is predicated on performance. Even if it's just a hint. 
And God says, I love you because I've chosen to love you and you're mine. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You see that? We were once distant from God in our sin. Ephesians earlier would tell us that we were dead and obstinate and wicked and his enemies. And because of that, we were objects of his wrath. But in Christ and through his blood, those of us who were distant have been brought near. So when we stumble and we fall and we begin to see defeat in our battle against sin, in our battle to love others well, our response from that fall shouldn't be to run away from God, but to run to Him. Because we've been drawn near. Us having little kids, one of the things that's funny at our house is when they fall down, what happens next? Even the slightest injury or the absence of an injury requires a band-aid and some ointment. But it always ends in one of the children running towards us. And I have to tell you that some of the most Enjoyable moments are right after our two-year-old girl, Claire, falls down. One, because she's absolutely cute when she's crying. And she runs to me, crocodile tears going down her cheeks, and she lifts her arms to me and she says, Uppy, Uppy, Uppy. And I pick her up and I hold her and she, she hugs me tight. This is the picture that God gives us here. He says, when you fall through the blood of Jesus, you've been drawn near. Don't run from Him in those moments of pain and injury. Run to Him. Go towards your Father who is merciful. So we pick up the story in Romans 8, verse 15. It it gives us the same picture again. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He says, the Holy Spirit's work in your life, one of the things it does is it gives you this fatherly affection towards Him. That instead of seeing Him as this judge who would crush you at any moment, you run to Him as you do a father. And He says, the Spirit enables us to cry, Abba, which is the best probably translation of that word, the closest we could hit would be Daddy. That's not exactly right on, but it's awfully close. It's not just going, Father, but it's Father. There's a love and an affection that causes us to press into Him in moments where in our sin we would have covered ourselves in guilt and shame and run from Him. And so the the weapons against sin as the Spirit's working in our lives are, are to understand that God is at work transforming our heart to trust the Word of God and to press into Him and to seek Him in those moments. The Spirit works in us also to bring new life. He, he, he takes death and brings resurrection. That's the story of Easter. That where there was death and decay through the power of the Spirit, there is hope and resurrection. Where there is addiction, recovery springs by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where there is strife, reconciliation and restoration. Where there is brokenness, healing and wholeness. Where there is defeat, victory. Where there is shame, cleansing. Where there is suffering, comfort. Where there is death, life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, raising Jesus from the dead, then at work in us, all sorts of new possibilities become real. 
that this amazing power that rose Jesus from the dead, who brings new life into situations, into marriages that are dead, into relationships with friends and children and siblings and parents that are dead, new life springs forth. Because the Holy Spirit does a couple things. One is He gives us the strength to forgive. So if you've been wronged in some way, the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of Christ shows us what forgiveness looks like and empowers us to demonstrate forgiveness to those who have wronged us. It's also a ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts so that we can seek repentance and restoration. So that when I sin against someone, I can go to them and say, that was a sin. I've sinned against you and against God by doing this. And I pray that you would forgive me. And Scripture tells us that it takes two people to have restoration. You must have repentance and forgiveness for restoration to occur. However, Scripture also says, as far as it depends on you, seek to live at peace with others. So you seek forgiveness even if the other is unforgiving. You extend forgiveness even if the other is unrepentant. But in those relationships, the Holy Spirit brings the power that death springs up into life. So the Holy Spirit brings new life. And when we just read, it brings an affection for God. It gives us the ability to seek Him and to cry out to Him as our Father. It gives us the ability to love Him and to worship Him. That's what He does within us. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me again. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. By Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit's presence in us gives us the ability to understand that while we were distant from God, He has adopted us as His children. And that He loves us and it gives us, rather than seeing the judgment for our sin, which, which we deserve, we understand that through Jesus' death and resurrection, conquering sin and death, that there is hope and new life, and we can seek God with confidence knowing that He is merciful, that He is our Father. Some of us may wrestle with this because we didn't have the best earthly fathers. And you look, really love a father? I don't understand that. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to see God as what a father is supposed to be. And if you're here today and this, this language of God as a father is something you can't wrap your mind around because maybe you had an abusive father or maybe you had a father that just was MIA or, or, or checked out. My prayer for you is that God would begin through the scriptures, even this morning, to show you what fathers are supposed to be. Gracious and loving, good and righteous, ever present for his children. So the Holy Spirit gives us that relationship with God where we can seek Him in that way and it gives us that affection to Him as our Father. So if the Holy Spirit's at work in you, Romans 8 would tell us that these things occur, that you begin to, to have power over sin, that, that you begin to see new life coming where there had previously been death and destruction and that you have this fatherly affection towards God. Now, here's the hard part about this. Is the flip side of what we just read in Romans 8 says that if these things aren't occurring, at least to some degree, you have to wrestle with the question of whether the Holy Spirit is present. 
We're not saying anyone's perfect. I don't even get to make these calls. I can't take a checklist and go through it. But I am telling you that the scripture we just read says that if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, you do not belong to Jesus. And Jesus would say that means you have no hope. If the Spirit of God isn't doing these things, if He's not active... It would be good to wrestle with that and to pray and to seek God and to say, did, did I pretend trust in you one day and say some prayer that I didn't mean, believing it would give me insurance from fire and get me a ticket out of hell? Or did I really turn to you? I believe the Holy Spirit will provide clarity there. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus and you've begun to doubt the movement of the Holy Spirit and that God truly loves you and what God wants to do in your life, that He has determined according to His plan to conform you to the image of Christ. And as you struggle with sin, you lose sight of that. I pray that this would challenge and encourage you to keep pressing. The amazing thing about this story Is it for us to accept Christ, for us to walk in this blessing with the presence of the Holy Spirit, isn't something that we have to earn. In Romans chapter 3, the process is described. In verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Let me put it this way. Everyone is in need of forgiveness before God. Everyone is in need of this redeeming work that Jesus accomplished through His death and resurrection. All have sinned. And are justified... They're declared not guilty. Well, how? By His grace, through redemption, they came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Look at that. All of us, every man, woman, and child, have sinned, have fallen short of God's glory. Because of that, Scripture would tell us that the, the, the due penalty is death, but that the power of God brings life and hope. And salvation. Through God's grace. He looks at us based upon what Jesus endured and the punishment that was laid upon him as he bore our guilt and suffering and says, not guilty. And our response is faith. To trust that. And the way we move forward every day from then is one of faith. Trusting that Jesus has accomplished this for us. That as He went to be with the Father, He sent the Holy Spirit. That He might convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That He might empower us to overcome sin. That He would draw us to God. That new life would begin to spring up out of death. And to draw us to God. To change our hearts so that we have an affection for Him as a child would for a loving and gracious Father. And so the Holy Spirit moves into our lives and begins radically transforming things over time. And this side of heaven will never be perfect, but He is active and present. And if He is, praise God. And I want to encourage you, press in to the Lord and follow the Spirit faithfully. Seek Him in the Scriptures. Trust Jesus at the cross and be reminded of God's love for you so that you can serve Him out of a heart that is responding rightly to love. But if you would look and really reflect and go, Man, I don't see any of that in me. Scriptures in Romans 3 tell us, here's the deal. That begins with the moment where you trust Jesus. Where you recognize that your relationship with God, that your forgiveness before Him is not dependent upon you, but upon Him. And you trust Him and Him alone to save you. 
And if that is a reality for you this morning, I want to encourage you to move on that, that where you sit, to begin to pray. And, and, and the words aren't what's important, but the heart is this. God, thank you for looking upon me in my sinfulness and wickedness and in love sending your son to die for me so that I could have a relationship with you. By your spirit, give me the strength to follow. The words aren't what's important. But if the Spirit's done that in your heart this morning, I would encourage you to do something. Let us know. If you've got a program, there's a tear-off tab. We want to follow up with you. If you didn't get a program, just come grab me, put me in a headlock, and we'll talk and we'll pray. Don't walk out of this place the same. Be open to the leading and power of the Holy Spirit as He works overtime in us. Let this be a day where the Holy Spirit flipped a switch on something new and moved you to another area in which life is beginning to conform to the image of Jesus. I want to pray for you and then we'll worship. Father God, we thank You for this wonderful morning where we remember that Your Son died on the cross for our sins and that He rose again, demonstrating power over sin and death. It is in that power that we rest today, believing that Your Spirit rose Him from the dead and that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us. We pray that, that He would be active in this place and in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would, not, you would not allow us to walk out of here unmoved and untouched by the Holy Spirit, that in Your sovereign hand You would begin transforming our hearts even now to honor Jesus, to worship you the way he did, to reject sin the way he did, and to love others the way he did. Father, we pray that your spirit would be present with us in a way that is transforming. That you would soften our hearts and lay them bare before him, that we might receive grace and mercy from you, that we might be lifted up and encouraged. Father, I pray that that your spirit would work in us in such a way that we can receive no joy from the chasing of sin. That as we pursue it, we would find ourselves in utter despair so that we might turn to you and receive good things from your hand. We thank for you for your son and for your power that rose him from the dead. And we pray that we would begin to see just glimpses of that same power even now. In Jesus' name, amen.